1: What is up, everybody? Welcome inside the Guilty is Charged podcast. My name is Steven, and I am your host. We are back live with uh, Chargers Analytics with Arjun for uh, the first time since week one. So, Arjun, thanks for, the tank for taking the time to join me today. How are you doing tonight?
2: Doing good, doing good. Um, pretty excited for the game tonight. Like I said in, on my Twitter, like I think this is a, a, a matchup between the team that overperformed last year, and I think the team that's overperforming so far this year. So I'm um, excited to see how this one plays out. And obviously, you know, have a lot to talk about in regards to the Chargers.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And uh hopefully this is a better primetime game than the last two primetime games we have yeah. gotten uh after the Cowboys and Giants and Niners and Broncos. So uh should be fun uh, regardless. I'm expecting a lot of points tonight. After the – did you see the Dolphins were on the field for like 90 snaps or something like that against the Bills? The Dolphins' defense, that is, was just some crazy number. Uh, Yeah. yeah. not expecting a a great defensive performance tonight. But, um, of course, we're going to uh, have Arjun's scouting report on the Texans and kind of the latest about uh, the Chargers tonight. Before we get started there, Arjun, I do want to get your thoughts here. Obviously, uh, news of the week – Uh, the decision to start Jamari Sawyer instead of Storm Norton uh, in place of Rashawn Slater. Obviously a lot of other injuries, potentially Keenan Allen dealing with a re-aggravation of his hamstring injury, which is, is not great, but uh, the decision to start Jamari Sawyer, what are your thoughts there instead of uh, rolling with Storm Norton?
2: Yeah, uh, pretty much to me, any option besides Norton was an upgrade. Um, I, I do have a little bit of concern because even though Sollyer played, left in College, he pretty much trained kind of as a guard. He's been doing OTAs and in, in training camp as a guard. So a little bit of a concern there. But again, like I think you'd rather find out what you have in Sollyer because you already know what you have with Storm Norton. So I, I'm OK with the move. Um, you know, people will look at the Texans and be like, oh, it's a it's a good way to get him active look jerry hughes has been on his hair this year jonathan yeah, greenard is is uh underrated pass rusher so it's not like he's being thrown into a game where he won't be tested like this will be a good starting test even if like the texans aren't that competitive as a as a whole
1: yeah absolutely i, I think you know kind of the strengths of this texans team are their pass rushers and their offensive tackles so you'll uh, get a big test right away for Solier and for chris Rum. so um you know i i said this on our show yesterday it's a lot of nervous excitement for jamari because i think he's he's up for the task but it's relative right like yeah. obviously you hope for the best here but um there's going to be some weaknesses that he's going to have to overcome that this team is going to have to scheme open for uh and make life easier on him i think this is uh again another game where you have to really kind of uh help your offensive line out by running the ball and, and giving them some easy looks so you're not asking Soler to be on an island against uh all the guys that you mentioned. So um, yes, he played offensive tackle in college and did it really well. Um, But it's, it is going to be a big adjustment for him uh, from an athletic profile standpoint, for sure.
2: Yeah. And that's, that's the big thing for me is like going from Slater to Sawyer, the athletic profile Mm -hmm. downgrade is is so big. And like that concerns me with the run game. That's already been pretty pathetic to start the season. (laughs) So like the outside zone plays, the, the toss plays, I think you, you're not scrapping them, but I wouldn't have as much confidence in them um, with with Sawyer there instead of Slater, who I believe you said was in in the top ten in both pass block and run run block win rate.
1: Yeah, so I was looking at uh, ESPN's metrics this morning, and and uh, Rashawn was the only left tackle in uh, the top ten in pass block win rate and run block win rate on ESPN. Again, there's a lot of differences, yeah. you know, between you know how ESPN tracks things and how PFF tracks things, but. Um, when somebody is elite in both categories, you obviously take notice of that. Clumac, uh, same thing, uh, along with Jalen Phillips from a defensive standpoint. So uh, it sucks, man. There, there's no way around it. Losing Rashawn is a huge, uh, huge, huge deal, and they're going to have to change their game plan. So, um, you know, it's funny how things work because last year it was like, okay, you have to run left to if you want to be effective running the football now it's like you have to run right to Zion and Trey Pipkins probably if you want to be effective running the ball because I don't think having Salyer and Matt Fyther at the focal point of outside zone running schemes is really kind of uh, an effective game plan. But I feel okay with it being Zion and Pipkins to the other side.
2: Yeah, and as we'll get into in my like, scouting report, um, I'll show why the loss of Slater was big, especially in the run game.
1: Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, well, uh we're here for your analytics scanning report. Let's dive into it. Um if you want to be able to share your screen, you yeah. should be Okay.
2: I think or, real quick, do we do we
1: need to talk about the Keenan news that he left practice? Yeah, I mean, I obviously it's uh big. Yeah, it's not great, and I think it's pretty clear that this offense desperately needs him to be healthy. I think um you know we'll see about it sounds much more optimistic that Corey and donald parham will make their returns this week but you know the from the passing game standpoint i I, it's not going to be much better this week without keenan i mean you're going to get a lot of uh Derek stingley and double team on uh mike williams this week as that's has kind of been the case so deandre carter uh (laughs) josh palmer like they have to step up and not just be uh, I think it was you who called him a garbage time king. Is that Josh Palmer? Or was that somebody else who who called him that?
2: It wasn't me, but i I mean i don't <laughs> I don't deny it.
1: <laughs> I guess Eckler's more of your garbage time king than yeah. uh, Palmer would be.
2: Yeah, and that's a whole different <laughs> thing. That's a whole different thing um, yeah. I think my worries with you know the the Texans kind of like a cover two defense, a lot of zones. so it's gonna be a lot of underneath stuff. so that's where Keenan thrives. and obviously when you don't have that security blanket, um, and, you know, the, no, no one's really been able to replace his type of production. It, it does
1: worry me a little, a little
2: bit. And especially with soft tissue injuries, you never want to see a setback happen in
1: practice. Yeah, especially for a 30 plus year old. So um, I do hope that they bring up Michael Bandy at some point, man. I mean, you lose Jalen Guyton and you replace him with Jason Moore, which I don't like that decision at all. Um, so if you don't have Keenan Allen active in this game, I, I feel like you have to. I mean, we'll see about John Hightower. I don't know if you fully trust him in in week <laughs> one, but uh, I, you got to get Bandy in there and and just make it easier for Herbert at this point.
2: Yeah, totally agree.
1: All right, Adrian, let's uh, dive in here to your scouting report on the Texans and the Chargers matchup on uh, Sunday morning.
2: Yeah. Um. So I have my screen screen shared. If you want to put that up. Yeah, so first I thought we could just go over some like, not really like KPIs, but some like important metrics that we can use to evaluate, you know, teams and stuff. So first we'll look at um, offensive three and out rate. Chargers, unfortunately, have the seventh highest three and out rate to start the season, which is pretty bad, right? Like you are you don't really want to see that. And that, that kind of just means that the play calling or the execution hasn't been there to start off the drive and and when when that, when you start off the drives bad or when you start off the game bad with a bad drive, then I think it just compounds. So that's what we're seeing here. Um, you know, we're, weirdly enough, the the Texans have the third highest three and out rate. So as I'll get into in my next graph, you know, it kind of plays into each other because the Chargers defense um, has been pretty bad at forcing three and outs to start the year. Um, they've only forced a three and out 13 percent of the time, which is the fifth lowest or the yeah, the fifth lowest number among all NFL defenses, the Texans are not much better, only forcing a three and out 17% of the time. So
1: um, any big takeaways for,
2: for you there?
1: So we're either going to see a lot of punting action, or we're going to see these offenses get right in this game. It, this is a yeah. weird trend. I, I didn't notice this when you were pointing, pointing this out earlier, that the Texans were that close on both sides. So uh, something's going to give, as they say, you know, styles make fights. So yeah. One of these offenses is probably going to get uh, back on track this week, and obviously, uh, you hope it's the Chargers. Yeah, and
2: again, it's not really that good when the Chargers and Texans are showing up in in some Ooh. key performance ind- <laughs> indicators. But, um, you know, wanted to also look at too high stuff. So, Chargers running too high at about a league av- or above league average rate, a little bit lower than where they were last year. They're mm-hmm. kind of sitting at around sixty six, sixty seven percent last year. I believe that was about seventy ish a little bit higher so running too high a little bit less texans even though they play a lot of cover two they show a lot of cup or they show a lot of single high pre-snap so i thought that was a little bit interesting um you know maybe that's a film thing where they play like a different version of cover two but this kind of ties into um the last graph i wanted to show which is like like how often defenses rotate post snap so either from single high to too high or too high to single high so you know Chargers obviously with the Vic Fangio influence doing it at the sixth highest rate right at about 36 percent Texans uh, right about below league average at about like a 22 percent mark so now you know Chargers do like to rotate a decent amount of the time Texans don't really rotate their safeties down or, or back very often
1: yeah, obviously the the Chargers one is going to be very interesting. What happens when J.C. Jackson, uh, returns? Hopefully that's this week. I guess we'll see there. But I feel like the the slight decrease is is really kind of a, a no to what they did in week two when he was healthy. Yeah, and I feel like they played a lot more man to man than the other two weeks where he's been, uh, inactive.
2: Yeah, definitely a lot more cover one in week two, and I think. That's a trend that's that's gonna stick, and I, I hope it does stick. I hope we do run a lot more man when he does come back because the Chargers have the talent advantage on the outside and in most games that he's um, that he's healthy. So now I'll do my actual scouting report. So um, that should be up, and so we'll start off looking at you know what we normally look at. So we'll start off with the Texans defense. Um, they pretty much. They're pretty much a league average defense at blitzing and the amount of pass rushers that they send on a given play. Usually the, the Texans are playing from behind. So not a not a huge sample size here, but it's gonna be a pretty standard game plan, right? Levy Smith just sits in cover two or or cover three for most of the game or quarters. So um not a not a ton to take away from this.
1: Um I do plan, want to ask you though, really quickly, because yeah, obviously no Joey Bosa going forward. Um, would you say the Chargers increasing their blitz rate would be a smart approach here? Or do you think that's not something they should be doing going forward? Hmm.
2: I think that's a really good question. I think, I think you do want to blitz more. I think, you, you know, you're probably not going to get a ton of pressure from Rump and Van Noy, basically from what we've seen the first couple of games. And you want to be able to manufacture pressure and, you know, for Brandon Sealy's defense hasn't been the greatest to start the year, but I think he is a pretty good blitz designer. And like when mm-hmm. he uses those boss packages where he lines up tranquil over guard or tranquil and Murray over the B gap or something, that does put the offense alignment in tough situations. And when you have JC, you know that you can hold up on the back end, or at least I hope you can hold up on the back end. So I think. You do want to manufacture pressure as much as you can without bosa so that is a very good question and something i hope they've had discussions about internally
1: yeah absolutely especially this week uh, i don't know if you saw nate tyson's tweet but uh davis mills is one of four quarterbacks this year who have yet to scramble a single time yeah so he's going to stay in the pocket i think you got to heat him up a little bit yeah agreed agreed okay <laughs> so texans I'll try to
2: zoom out just a little bit texans defense. Um a lot of heavy boxes, right? They're obviously playing with it's weird. They're even with a lead against the Colts, they were still playing a little bit of heavier boxes, a lot of six and seven men boxes. Um, they were trailing for for most of the game in week two. And then it was pretty much a neutral game script. So the Chargers are gonna see a lot of six and seven men boxes, which should benefit the passing game, but you know, you never you never know with, with how the Chargers kind of respond to that because like Again, it's, it's kind of like an equal distribution for how much they face the pass and face the run. I believe it was uh, uh, SB Nation's Michael Peterson who said the Texans have allowed the most rushing yards per game, which you kind of see here because they just allow a crap ton of rushing attempts every single game. So you're going to see a lot of heavy boxes. Whether the Chargers take advantage of it, you know, it's up to them. Um, I would hope they go with a heavy play action. Type offense this week, just because when you have heavy boxes plus play action, the linebackers hopefully will bite a little bit more. Um, so, curious, I, I am curious to see what they do here, but I, I'm expecting um, a lot of heavy boxes.
1: Yeah, and that's that's quite a change because Sony Michelle and uh, Austin Eckler have only been getting uh, heavy boxes. I think on like 12 and 14 uh, percent of their rushing attempts so far, which uh, again does not paint a pity a pretty picture for those two on the chargers running game
2: yeah okay um now let's move on to the offense we'll obviously start off with personnel um so houston only run 11 personnel about 50.76 percent of the time um they don't really run a lot of 11 and they kind of like just mix up the rest of their like personnel percentages so they have like an equal amount of 11 12 13 21 and 22 personnel so i don't i don't really know what they see there honestly and as i as i get to in my my next table you'll see like the breakdown of it but um yeah texans this could be a a heavy uh base package week depending on what the texans show um and and the personnel they like to run
1: yeah i mean that makes sense like i i I expected hitting into the season that lovey smith you know defensive coach pep hamilton you know and his background from stanford uh you know they'd be trying to run the ball a lot so um yeah. not a huge surprise there
2: yeah um and so when we look at how the texans performed out of each personnel package they're they do very well out of 10 personnel they're averaging 0.775 epa per play so again uh for the listeners epa stands for expected points added it's basically putting a point total on how many points uh, an offense gains or loses based on the results of a play. So they do very, very well out of 10 personnel. They do pretty well out of 21 personnel as well. And there's like, there's a decent enough sample size to say like, um, you know, they've performed well and this is not just like an one play anomaly. They love to pass out of 10, which is obvious. And they do love to pass out of 21. So I don't huh. really know who their fullback is, or they could just be running a lot of Rex Burkhead, Damian Pierce, two back sets. So um even, even when they're in a two-back set or a three-tight end set, they're passing a, a lot over-expected. So that's something that, again, a decent enough sample size to say that even if they come out in, in heavy personnel with Brevin Jordan, O.J. Howard, and I don't, I don't even know their third tight end, they're, they're even if they come out in that heavy personnel, we could still expect them to pass the ball a lot. So um, And they have been pretty efficient doing so as
1: well. Yeah, so their fullback is a guy named Troy Hairston. Um, he's only gotten 15 snaps. So, uh, like you said, looks like it's a lot of uh, Burkhead and Damian Pierce on the field at the same time. Yeah. Um, tight end room is... It was Jordan Akins, but it looks like it's O.J. Howard, Pharaoh Brown, and Brevin Jordan, the uh, former Miami yeah. draft pick. Yeah. Yeah, so... Out of eleven, which
2: is like the standard personnel they run, they're not predictable at all. They actually like pretty much they they do what is expected of them, um whether it is running or passing. They aren't efficient at all out of eleven personnel, averaging negative <laughs> zero point two two six Epa per play So you know, that's kind of like the downside to them. They don't have any receiving weapons outside of Brandon Cooks. like, even Nico Collins, who's a former Michigan guy, like, I mean, he's not that good. So (laughs) it's pretty much like, can you contain Brandon Cooks in the passing game? Or, you know, it's just, I don't know what the, what the game plan is going into this game for the Chargers.
1: Yeah. Them being really bad in 11 personnel, that's very uh, against the grain in terms of 2022 trends. Yeah,
2: totally. So actually I, I should have looked at this before, but you know, with this table we can kind of see what the breakdown is so yeah out of out of 21 personnel there they like to go pierce and burkhead i wouldn't say together but they do have both of them do have snaps and i would say pierce is the uh preferred short yardage back he does get most of the snaps out of 12 13 21 and 22 personnel Mm -hmm. even if um on a general level burkhead and pierce have split the reps evenly pretty much the first couple of weeks. And it does seem like F- Farrah Brown is tight end one, Cooks wide receiver one, Collins wide receiver two, uh, Chris Moore wide receiver three.
1: Man, that receiving room. <laughs> <laughs> Eagle Collins wide receiver yeah. two, Chris Moore, and Chris Conley. My goodness. No wonder they yeah. want to run the ball so much. <laughs> yeah,
2: I know, I know. Um, So now looking at some of the formation stuff, Uh, You kind of just ignore the jumbo personnel so that's only one play and they don't run any they only one run one play out of pistol so they've been kind of just like not like not efficient at all out of single back and shotgun averaging a negative epa in both they aren't that predictable out of either like they do like to run the ball slightly more than expected out of single back they pass it slightly more than expected out of shotgun but there's not too many big takeaways from this other than like the texans overall as an offense just aren't good um and when they go into eye formation it's like it's just awful so um I, I am curious to see like you know what they're what they plan to do with joey bosa out like do they go a little bit more heavier do they go into the eye or do they stay under single back a little bit more mm-hmm. um, but some just some interesting takeaways we can take away from from this table
1: yeah, and uh, like Carlos says here in the chat, lots of uh, Khalil Mack double teams, I'm guessing, as oh, well, yeah. even though they don't necessarily oh, yeah. need to. I think their offensive tackles are pretty good, especially Laramie yeah. Tunsil, but I would expect any time Khalil goes against Titus Howard to have some kind of trip, uh, uh, chip or double mm-hmm. team or something like that. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, and then just looking at the Texans passing game, you can see a lot of red, which isn't good. Um, they don't like to pass it very often, but when they do, it it doesn't really end up working most of the time. Um, they have a, they pretty much average a negative EPA, throwing it to a lot uh, different parts of the field. Um, when they throw it left, it's just horrendous. So, you know, whoever lines up on the left side is obviously doing a bad job of getting open, or Davis Mills is just forcing the ball. But um, yeah, I mean, again, the the Texans' passing offense is, is atrocious outside of Brandon Cook. So the, I, while this table will mean something in, in future weeks, I don't really think it means much here just because the Texans really can't throw the ball efficiently to any part of the field.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, obviously they're in the long game in terms of their rebuild, but yeah, um, I would have expected a, a bigger jump forward than we've seen from Nico Collins, even if he's not necessarily an elite separator or athlete yeah. or anything like that. Yeah, agreed,
2: agreed. Um, So, yeah, here are, and this is interesting, here are the Texans receiving weapons and how they performed in terms of expected points added when targeted. Brandon Cooks, when targeted, has been pretty bad. All right. But here's the thing, like this doesn't represent Brandon Cooks as a receiver. Let's get I think we should get that straight. Like, I think this is just a good example of how EPA is is kind of more of a team stat than any individual stat. Um, but it is, it is pretty funny that when Mills targets his wide receiver one, he's lost about <laughs> pretty much lost about 10 points when targeting him this year. Um, and he, that same goes for wide receiver two and he's, he's done pretty well targeting Chris Moore. So I wonder if like Chris Moore has like a third or fourth down touchdown that he's
1: caught at some point yeah. in the year. But, um, yeah, well, I know, uh, I, mean, I know OJ Howard had, uh, the two touchdowns in week one too. Yeah. I can discuss Bradley. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah. So some things just never change. Right. Yes. But, um, but yeah. So even if, even if Brandon cooks is one of the best receivers in the game, they haven't been super efficient targeting him, but now here's, you know, definitely what I wanted to get into a little bit. Um, so the loss of Bosa, right. The Texans are extremely good running the ball left and outside the tackles. Mm-hmm. They average pretty much about 0. 0.4 EPA per rush. If you don't know, at least 75% of NFL teams average a negative EPA per rush by the end of the season. So the fact that they're they're pretty much gaining 0. 0.4 points every time they've run the ball left and outside the tackles is pretty impressive. And even running between the tackle and the guard has been a, a net positive for them. So think about where Bosa lines up 90% of the time and now replacing with Chris Rome for Kyle Van Noy. And you have pretty much an all-pro left tackle in Laramie Tunsel run blocking for them. So this is, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to do this, this type of report because you can kind of see how the impact of Bosa is going to be big if the Texans decide to take advantage of it.
1: Yeah, and I, th- I think obviously this is a big game, of course, for, um, you know, Austin Johnson and Morgan Fox because they're going to have to, uh, you know, essentially step up and, and be better at setting the last scrimmage because you don't have that luxury of knowing that Joey is going to be able to set the edge on the opposite side of them. So, uh, Landry's is a fantastic offensive tackle. I think, uh, you know, it's unfortunate because it's basically by default that he's like the best left tackle in the game right now, uh, cause everybody else is injured, oh, yeah. uh, but he's yeah. playing really well, man. He he's every single time I see a clip on, uh, on Twitter, he's just steamrolling folks. And so, uh, it's not a surprise to me that, you know, they are positive rush per play when running towards him, uh, Kenyon Green, their left tackle, obviously a very fantastic run blocking card who uh, we all liked, uh, obviously yeah. a little bit less than Zion. But, um, you know, <laughs> similar approach to the Chargers last year, just run left behind your two best offensive linemen. And, yeah. uh, you know, it doesn't get much more, more simple than that.
2: Yeah, or or you just run right at Jerry Tillery. Which <laughs> hasn't been on the field much this year, but my <laughs> um, God, dude, they, his yeah. his
1: pass rush roommate. I cannot believe that yeah. he has regressed that much, and he's supposedly supposedly in the prime of his athletic career. Yeah, just crazy. Um,
2: the Texans defense. Look, their run defense is horrendous. Like I've been uh, the Austin Eckler stuff. I'll save it. For the end of the week if if he shows out you know come at me on twitter i'm, I'm totally open to it. If, he, if he sucks against this pathetic texans run defense that allows a positive epa per rush in four out of six run gaps then i will be taking my victory lap but this is a get right game for the chargers um you know running outside the tackles has been extremely effective or running in the tackle or end gap running left pretty much has been really effective so Matt Filer, like I'm looking at you. Like this is like your bounce back game after a pretty yeah. bad showing against the Jags. Jamari's gonna have a, I think, a better time in the run game than the pass game because they suck um, on the edges when teams run right at them uh, to the offense's left side. Um, teams like to run a lot in the right guard gap, so between the guard and the center on the right side, they've run 25 times. Um, this mm-hmm. could be the product of playing. The colts are the colts an inside zone team um
1: no but they Attention. have quentin nelson well, i guess he's left. yeah guard.
2: well gluinski or well ryan Kelly's a is a pretty much an all pro so like running yeah. on his. so yeah so like running to the right side between the guard and the center is, has been pretty positive for offenses against the texans so this is a get right game for the chargers run game but again not a uh, I'm not holding my breath because they haven't been good yet. And now they just lost their best offensive lineman.
1: Yeah, I think you obviously have to change the kind of run style that you have with Jamari. I mean, you're not going to ask yeah. him to do a lot of the outside zone toss looks that you do with Slater. Um, but, you know, maybe you do more duo, more split zone, more inside zone, um, and really just lean into who you have at center and right guard and left guard. And hopefully, you know, Matt father can uh, get back to form from last year.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Okay, last thing, uh, Texans rusher.
2: So Damian Pierce is obviously getting the bulk of the work. Um, You know, he hasn't been bad as as a rusher. He's still averaging a negative EPA per rush, but most running backs do. Averaging about 3.87 yards per carry. Um, Burkhead's doing much worse, but again, Burkhead killed us last year, so I don't think we can really really talk that much shit on him. Um, But I, I would say, as of right now, Pierce is the better running back.
1: Uh, do you know by chance where uh, Pierce's EPA ranks? Um, I don't, but... Is if he like middle to... of the pack or, or obviously... Probably,
2: probably, probably higher than middle of the pack. If you go to, over to my friend at uh, TageFBanalytics on Twitter, he has a website. It should be in his bio or if you scroll down and you see rushing yards over expected, that'll give you a bunch of stuff regarding rushing um, statistics for indiv- individual rushers. Um, you, and you can know. check that out there. Um, but, yeah, just quickly for the Chargers, just doing our you know usual self-scouting. So, again, the standard distribution for a Brandon, a Brandon Staley defense, a lot of six-man boxes and splitting up between five and seven-man boxes on average. Um, when, when Brandon Sealy is a known pass, obviously he's going to run a lot of light boxes. It's a lot of six- and five-man boxes, more than seven and eight. When he is in known run, which hasn't been like that often, but – when teams run the ball on the Chargers, um, they have been utilizing a little bit of a heavier box with more seven and eight men boxes than five. But it's interesting, you know, the so the pass rate overexpected thing I've been using yeah. to like for the formations teams have thrown on the Chargers more than any team or any defense in the NFL overexpected. So huh. I think teams do fear this Chargers D line, but without Bosa, I don't yeah. I don't know how much that changes, right? Like that. It could be pretty massive until he comes back
1: yeah i don't know if you've looked at football outsiders and i I said this yesterday but you know they they break down like uh rushing yards of course by level right so like defensive line second level open field and the chargers rank very good in the defensive line and second level categories it's just the open field so you're having a lot of issues with your corners and your safeties and that's really the big-time issue right now. So, yeah. um, Chargers' defensive line has been really playing outstanding, um, even against um, the Jaguars. I thought they did a lot of good things. Um, they just need to get more sound on the back end and run fits and things like that. Yeah, totally agree.
2: Um, so looking at the Chargers and how they've performed out of each personnel, so, um, I mean... the the offense has just not been there so like everything is pretty much negative right now um out of 11 they're averaging negative 0.03 epa out of 12 they're averaging negative 0.07 and then so uh, they don't really run a ton of other formations so it's pretty much 11 and 12 and you know it's just disappointing even though they are passing um over expected in every single formation um just not having keenan kind of hurts you in 11 and 12 personnel where you kind of require him to get open quickly and and let others do their thing but
1: maybe this changes this weekend i hope yeah like people are are obviously not going to like what's happening to this playbook but I, i think you just need to make it more simple and give justin more freebies and just allow him to be efficient and get back to that sort of thing get in a groove and then when that happens then you can kind of uh start opening it up a little bit and taking more deep shots but I think the focus has to be getting back on track from a rhythm standpoint, sustaining drives, yeah. not necessarily, you know, um, a ton of play action, deep shots to Mike Williams or whoever else is running deep <laughs> routes at this point. <laughs>
2: yeah, and again, we just want that, to – that three and out rate is one of the th- reasons why, you know, sustaining yeah. drives obviously plays into that. Um, in terms of out of each offense formation, so I, I texted this to Tyler. Like, they've actually been pretty good out of empty – this year, last year, they were not that good. They ranked, I think, like, in the low I think 20s. Tyler said, like,
1: 21 or 22, yeah. What, 21,
2: yeah, 21 and 22 and EPA from empty. So, you know, a little bit of a change, and it's it's been working, but they've kind of sucked under center. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe there's just a lot of things that, you know, kind of contributed to all of this, but it, nothing's really been a – like, the two main formations – the Chargers run most of their personnel and they haven't been efficient. So mm-hmm. um, just, just a little bit disappointing on that front. Um, So, you know, looking at how the Chargers have performed, throwing to each part of the field. um, the, the main takeaway for me, and I had this thing last year, they never throw the ball over the middle. I don't know what it is the best offense is throw the ball, target the ball over the middle, because that's the most efficient place to throw the ball. And the Chargers just don't do it. It's like if I had a Justin Herbert heat map, it would look like Russell Wilson in Seattle. And that's while like Herbert has the arm to make those difficult throws. Like you don't always want to put him in the, in these difficult, in these difficult situations. So I like, if anything, heat maps are kind of, more more of a coordinator thing than a kiwi thing like i know people clown on us yeah. for that and i think there is some validity to that being a rust problem but like i don't think this is a herbert problem because he, does, he has the ability to make those tight window throws over the middle but i feel like everything's just spot or stick where everything's going towards the sideline towards the sideline and even though herbert can make those throws more time like not more times than not but like the there's more variance throwing outside I think. And it's just overall less efficient than throwing over the middle.
1: Yeah. And obviously there's uh you know, a health impact there because your two best guys over the middle, in my opinion would be Keenan and, and Donald Parham Yeah, and they haven't been on the field. So I'm curious to see how that changes if, and when they uh, come back, but yeah, you know, obviously this is just kind of a lot more Mike Williams, a lot more Gerald Everett on the outside. So mm-hmm. um Obviously, that's kind of a a bookmark for later thing for me, at least.
2: Yeah. Um, I know you're going to love this graph, but this is the Chargers run game by run gap. As you can see, everything is negative. And (laughs) Jesus Christ. The least negative is running left outside the tackle, which, you know, can't really. I don't know if, I don't know how much they do that now with Jamari out there, but this is a really depressing graph for. For me, just because like you invested all this money, the two first round picks in your your offensive line and just nothing has been able to work so far at the line of scrimmage.
1: Yeah, that's uh, the negative outside the left tackle is definitely surprising because that's obviously where you run mostly behind Rashawn. But yeah, um, I think obviously that kind of points to how much Matt Fyler has struggled as well. And so you know this is a big couple weeks for him individually I think you could make an argument that he's uh you know the most important player over the next few weeks in order for this offense to get back on track yeah and I think um I think it's mostly negative because
2: even like there's certain instances where the Chargers will run left on like third or fourth down outside the tackles especially that Chiefs game where they did it twice got a first down, and then they did it again and got stopped so like in these high leverage situations the the, the EPA you lose will be you know, much higher than the EPA you gain, if that makes sense. So yeah. that, that's kind of why it's negative. If I, if I use like yards per carry, which I can always incorporate later, um, it could be a little bit of a different story. Um, Chargers run defense, which is the last graph I'm going to show. Um, they've done really bad when teams run left and between the tackle and the guard. So this isn't necessarily a Bosa thing. That's, I, I think we can just collectively blame Tillery because this is kind of where the guard <laughs> on zone runs are going towards. So teams are average pre, teams are pretty much gaining a point every time they've run left between the tackle and the guard. But I will say a large chunk of this does come from the James Robinson 50 yard run, which I believe was between the yeah. tackle and guard or the tackling guard spot. So um, overall, the charge run defense hasn't been that bad, but, you know, kind of just kind of uh, skewed by that one run, which, you know, is just unfortunate.
1: Yeah, I mean really uh because they played mostly pretty well against the Chiefs too in that regard. And and Clyde Edwards or Clyde Edwards had that one big run, uh, which would have been outside the right end. So um, Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. So obviously you have to keep an eye how Chris Rumpf and Calvin do in that regard too.
2: Yeah. All right. Well, that's all I had for my report.
1: Nope. <laughs> Looks like Arjun accidentally exited. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's hilarious! We'll see if he comes back in a second here. Um, but I think there we go. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> Look, the
2: red button means stop sharing here in your blue studio. Uh, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I meant to, I just meant to uh, stop shooting share. <laughs> That's I'm okay, sorry.
1: man. That's okay. Um, all right. We'll, we'll wrap this uh, episode up of uh, Chargers Analytics with Arjun. Uh, your favorite league of bets this week, Arjun. Yeah.
2: Uh, I love Browns minus one. Browns are one of the best rushing teams in the NFL. Falcons can't stop the run. Um, it, it's weird. It's basically, you know, it's basically you just pick a winner and that's what the, the play is. And I think the Browns are the better team. And there's been a lot of weird love for the Falcons lately, even though they don't have that a great strange. team, though they might have a great, you know, a decent play caller in Arthur Smith. But I'm backing the Browns, who I think are the, the better team, the smarter team and should win at the line of scrimmage. Um I also like the Chiefs uh, money line against the Bucks. Like the Bucks can't move the ball. So... I, I would rather favor the chiefs who, even though they had like a bad loss against the Colts, they were still a really good offense. And they just struggled in the special teams game yeah. and in these high leverage situations inside the goal line. Um, and one player prop I like, um, I don't know if it's up anymore, but I was able to take Rashad Penny to score a touchdown plus 150 against the lions. The lions have allowed seven rushing touchdowns in uh, three games to start the year. So at, at least one rushing touchdown in each game. Um, their run defense isn't that great and they've allowed the most plays inside the five yard line so they've allowed 17 plays to occur inside the five weirdly enough the Seahawks have had zero plays inside the five yard line so I think it's time for them to see some positive regression and when Penny gets a good number of carries which I think he will in this game um, he does score touchdowns as we saw towards the end of last last year so to recap um, Browns minus one Chiefs money line and then Rashad Penny, anytime touchdown. And also, bonus play, um, I would take Kaimi Fairbairn's mm-hmm. over one-and-a-half field goals against our, our Chargers. Um, so I think the Texans move the ball a decent amount um, in, in this game. Even if JC comes back, like, I think they'll get it over the 50. And he hasn't missed this year, and he's gone. he's hit at least two field goals in every game. So those are my favorite bets that I've placed and would give up.
1: There we go. We got a a kicker prop bet on the show tonight. I love that. Um, At some point, we're going to get some kind of like Arjun's parlay or something in here because obviously doing fantastic (laughs) work. Appreciate that. Um, Make sure obviously you guys uh, and follow Arjun uh, on Twitter as well as check out his own podcast with Taze where you get a lot of uh, data driven information. You know, those two uh, continue to crush it over there. So, Arjun, uh, any final thoughts, man, before we uh, head out for the evening?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I do hope the Chargers win this week, like at least for my sanity. I might, you know, I, I think it's it's they suffer two big losses, but this is still a more talented team than the Texans. And, mm-hmm. like, I'm not expecting a blowout, but I, I at least hope they win. Like, it, it would just be a tragedy if they lost, because I think that would send a lot of
1: fans spiraling down in, in a path that we don't want to be in. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it sounds like Justin is feeling like a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more confident with where he's at physically. So I know um, I forget her name. I think it's Stefania Bell was talking about, um, you know, it, it kind of takes a couple of games for quarterbacks with rib injuries to kind of figure it out a little bit. And obviously with the other injuries, you know, we'll see what kind of happens. But um, I do think we'll see Justin be a little bit sharper this week. And uh, obviously, hopefully that leads to more points on the board and, and hopefully it win. Yeah. All right, man. Well, appreciate it. Appreciate everyone here in the chat tonight. Um, we'll be going live, uh, like Tyler said, uh, on Saturday morning, doing a little fundraising show. So definitely stay tuned for that. Hopefully you can uh, come and uh, bring some super chats and donate some money to uh, a fellow member of the Chargers fandom that's in, uh, in a bit of a tough situation right now with some uh, medical bills with a brand new baby. So um, that's going to do it for us tonight, guys. As always, bolt
3: up. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality.